Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rocking good time in about 10 to 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Michael. We're three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who've inspired us over the years. Today, Rocktail Hour is brought to you by Audible.com. Download a free audiobook of your choice at their website or from the link on our homepage. Today, Treg is going to tell us the story behind a modern classic, Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. Thanks, Tim. Uh, this was a huge hit last year. Uh, it was a, uh, one of the most popular songs of the summer, 2011. Uh, Foster the People is a Los Angeles indie rock band, or at least they were an indie rock band since they've been picked up by a label and no longer independent, but they still got that indie sound. Um, this started out as a solo project for Mark Foster, and then once uh, his songs got a little more elaborate, he brought on a, a bassist and uh, a drummer. Pumped Up Kicks is the band's debut single and it became a major crossover success. I guess that's why it was so popular, because it, it appealed to so many different genres. The first thing you notice about Pumped Up Kicks is that it's this catchy dance pop song with a simple throbbing bass line and airy melodic vocals. Uh, there's a mixture of acoustic and electronic elements, and uh, there's this whistling near the end of the song that adds to it a, a sense of playfulness, as some have described. Foster wrote this song uh, a block away from the beach. I think he was, he was working in Venice, California, Venice Beach, California. And he thinks that writing it near the beach had some influence on the sound. Uh, a Rolling Stone reader's poll named it the second best song of the summer of 2011. We're bringing you the best songs of the summer of 2011. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that part out. Huh? <laughs> We had, the, we had the greatest selling album of all time and now the best song from the summer of 2011. <laughs> the second best song yeah, the second from the summer of 2011. <laughs> the, the video for the song is interesting too. Uh, you know, it, it reflects the, uh, the playfulness of the song. It, it shows the band surfing and at the beach and playing their instruments. And then in contrast, when you listen to the words, uh, it's, it was a real eye-opener for me the first time I really listened to it. And that's why I chose this song, is because it's such an interesting dichotomy between this uh, really light and airy and upbeat pop song and then the real dark lyrics. So uh, the lyrics describe a teenager's homicidal thoughts of a killing spree. Mark Foster told MTV News, I like to tell a different type of story lyrically, than what the music is expressing, because it brings another layer to the story itself. And boy, that's certainly true here. He further explained with regard to this song, I wrote the music first, so that is probably why the music and the lyrics have their own identity. But there's definite irony. I like to undercut the music with something that is ironically opposite. With music, you can communicate different layers of a story depending upon where the music and the melody go. So Pumped Up Kicks is about a kid that's basically losing his mind and is plotting revenge. Uh, Foster has explained that, that the boy in, his, in the song is an outcast. Foster wrote the song from the perspective of wondering what it would like to be in the inside a teenager's head that was basically losing his mind and plotting revenge on those people around him. So he says that the song is not actually about him physically going and doing anything, it's about his mental state. 
and he describes he's described to reporters that he wanted to get inside the killer's mind like Truman Capote did in Cold Blood and try to walk in their shoes. And that's what he's trying to do with this song. That's an interesting way to describe a song that sounds like it's a basically a, a song for a party. I guess I can understand that this person wanted to create that kind of irony, but the truth is you can't create the kind of feeling and get inside somebody's mind like Truman Capote did with In Cold Blood while you're basically listening to a party song about a very serious subject. And what I fear people will do is is glorify that dark message because it's such a, a fun song to listen to. And I think that on one level, there's a little bit of irresponsibility going on there. Now, it may be ironic and fun for an artist to go ahead and create that type of song, but the reality is, is that the young people that listen to this song aren't going to get that. And I think that that serious message gets lost and it turns into something else. And I don't think artists have responsibility. In fact, we've talked about this before with Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest. But in this case, I think there's a, a real possibility that this song and the band is genuinely misleading when they write this type of lyrics set to this type of music. I don't see what the complexity is of the song by setting really serious and dark lyrics to some kind of teeny bop beat. Right. I mean, he says that it that it adds a layer uh, to the song, but all it's really doing is trivial trivializing what is really a, a really serious subject, particularly in contemporary times where you have mass killings by kids who seem to be detached from the reality and the seriousness of what they're doing. Foster explained that one of the things that he was trying to do with the song is to uh, promote communication among parents about a serious subject of bullying and school violence. And the thing that occurred to me is what parents are really listening to the same music that their kids are listening to. Now, we, we're the exception since we listen to, you know, to rock music of, of all generations. But uh, when I, the first time that I realized what the song was saying, I, I told my girls, I don't think I want you singing along with this song. Yeah, yeah. But how many other parents are doing that or, or, or are engaging in serious conversations with their kids about violence? It, it strikes me that argument could be used for video games that, um, you know, where the, the goal of the, of the game is to massacre as many people as you want or as you can. And the, and the creator of the video game is saying, well, what I'm trying to do is create a dialogue about this subject. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Right. <laughs> and, and the video game is set to some happy, cheerful music, right? right? It, it seems like there's some subjects that just require a more serious approach. And again, if I'm criticizing what you've just, what you've just sort of described as, as the writer's intent uh, for writing this song, if you hadn't have told me that, I would have just said, all right, you know, this song is an interesting anomaly. And it's, and it's a very, very well, you know, well composed song. The music is very good. And you know, kind of odd that they would set those lyrics. But then to try to say, okay, I'm going to turn this into something more serious does seem a little disingenuous to me. Now that we've thoroughly editorialized the topic of the song, <laughs> let me get into the uh, some of the lyrics a little bit more. Well, the lyrics themselves aren't graphic, and I think it's important that we point that out. And Treg's going to go through them again. There's There's nothing graphic or profane or offensive in that way. I think that people when they hear the lyrics, become concerned because of the way that the song seems, in my opinion, to trivialize a, a very serious subject. 
So the first verse begins with a a story of a kid named Robert who describes himself as a cowboy kid with a quick hand. And he says that he has a six-shooter that he found in his dad's closet. And then he'll look around the room. He won't tell you his plan, and he's coming for you. And so it, it appears that it's talking about a boy who found his dad's gun and is sitting at the school or at a park or some setting waiting and coming after somebody. And then this chorus comes in with a great hook. You know, it's, it's a great upbeat hook and eminently singable. And, and the, the words are, all the other kids with the pumped up kicks, you better run, better run, outrun my gun. All the other kids with the pumped up kicks, you better run, better run, faster than my bullet. So, pumped up kicks, the name of the of the song, what is that? It's believed to be that it's the expensive Reebok pump basketball sneakers that were popular in the in the late 1980s. Uh, the, the shoes had a pump on the tongue and you can inflate them to, to supposedly give yourself a little bit of extra lift. And because they were expensive, uh, the theory is that only privileged kids could afford them. And so in this song where he's saying the kids with the pumped up kicks better run, it's a metaphor for uh, this boy Robert is coming after the, the privileged kids. The second verse switches from third person to first person. And now the boy is referring to his father who has been working a long day and he's coming home late and he's bringing him a surprise. So in this verse, you've got the image of, a, of an absent father um, showing that the boy feels some isolation um, and dad is bringing a surprise. And there's a lot of speculation that the surprise is probably a beating. And then uh, the boy says in the, in the next line, I've waited a long time. Yeah, the sleight of my hand is now a quick pull trigger which seems to infer that he's possibly waiting to kill his father. Uh, But the next line, I I think, is uh, an interesting image, although the whole song is dark. This one is interesting. It says that the boy reasons with his cigarette. Your hair's on fire. You must have lost your wits. I think that's kind of a creative image of the boy talking to his cigarette and saying to the cigarette, your hair's on fire. You must have lost your wits, which to me means that he's saying to himself that he's losing his mind. An interesting quote by Jeffrey Berg, a frontier psychiatrist. He said, I was so engrossed with the cheery melody of its chorus that it took me a few listens to discover that the lyrics suggest dark Columbine revenge. I remember that I was watching this with my daughter, and uh, we were watching uh, Foster, the people performing this song, and, uh, and she was singing along, and we were just kind of enjoying it, and we're watching all the people in, in the watching all the people in the audience, and they were dancing and singing along, and I so I said to my daughter, I said, "Do you you know what that chorus is saying?" She didn't know. I said, "You better run from my bullets." And so she was kind of shocked that she didn't really completely understand, you know, run from my gun, run from my bullets, or run faster than my bullets. And and an interesting irony is that the kids that were on the TV program that were watching the band and singing along and dancing were probably the kind of privileged kids that, that the subject of the song was aiming to gun down. And I, I since learned that that was that it was an in, intent on the part of Mark Foster to write a song that would uh, that everyone would want to dance to and sing to, including you know these hipsters that he was making fun of, uh, and and so there's the irony of these kids singing about a boy who wants to shoot them, I, ostensibly because of bullying, 
I think that Mark Foster was bullied while he was in high school, and the issue is very important to him, and so that's why he wrote this. In fact, he said that one of the reasons that he wrote these dark lyrics was to bring awareness to the issue of gun violence amongst youth, which he feels is epidemic. But one thing that you got to give credit to him for is that he's talking about that he believes that the epidemic of violence is, is based on the lack of family, lack of love, and isolation. And kids who just don't have anywhere to go or anyone to talk to, and it makes them snap. So I think, I think his motive was probably honorable, that he wanted to bring attention to an issue, and in particular he wanted to bring attention to kids who are marginalized, who are bullied, um, who do reach a breaking point, or almost reach a breaking point where they're going to snap and, and create some violence. And he wanted to call attention to what can we do to help those kids that do feel isolated. It's just kind of odd, as you guys have both also recognized the you know the way that he chose to do it. What's more effective, right? Pearl Jam's Jeremy or this song at, for, at creating that message? For me, Jeremy. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I was about to ask you. So, you know, you've done the research on this. How do you feel? Do you do you feel like he succeeded at this at getting that message to those kids who feel like they're picked on and bullied? Because if you ask me, I feel like what he's done is is created an even tighter inner circle of people who feel like they're bullied who now say okay hipsters the joke's on you we're going to lull you into this false sense of security while you're dancing to our song and then we're going to kill you <laughs> and honestly after you've described that that's how i feel about this song i think post columbine i think that you have really got uh, a very divisive um, society of kids who are either the haves or the have-nots. And I almost feel like um, the ones that are bullied and picked on feel empowered to at least think these dark thoughts like that about these people. Not just that anybody who's bullied or picked on you know, will occasionally indulge in, in a fantasy of, of getting revenge. I think, I think everybody's experienced that but almost feel privileged to do it because they are um, society society likes the popular kids but they also like the victims and they like the victims to feel like victims and i think that this song empowers them to feel even more like victims because i'm different and yet somebody gets me and they've written an ironic song and how playful it would be to, to exactly. shoot down the privileged yeah. kids i think kids nowadays have become desensitized to how dangerous a school setting can be and 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 i think that they can joke about this and they can see the irony in a song like this whereas you know it this is a very serious subject and it and it requires a very serious approach i think it's irresponsible i don't know if i'd go so far as to say irresponsible but i i do agree with you that i'm i don't think that the most effective way to convey the message they were trying to convey is with this cheery happy song right but Oh, sorry. Because I think Tim hit the nail on the head that it's desensitization, right? And to and to foster Mark Foster desensitization <laughs> with further desensitizing the listener from the subject matter by having this incongruence between the music and the lyrics. I think is irresponsible. You didn't expect this, did you? I didn't expect it either. I kind of I like the song until you told me what the intent behind it was. <laughs> You know, I can look. I can still see it if it was written just as sort of a okay. Let's see if people get what I've done here. But to really say okay, I'm going to I'm going to tell a really important story and and pass on a really important message by doing it this way. 
for and or or understanding who your audience is. Exactly. If this song was written and and produced and given to academics and people to ponder, that's one thing, right? Right. But to distribute it to the masses, in particular, to appeal to young children, is uh, is bizarre. It's interesting that you mentioned Columbine because uh, the bassist for the band, Cubby Fink has a cousin who survived the Columbine school massacre. And uh, what he said is, quote, to be able to have a song to create a platform to talk about this stuff has been good for us, close quote. Kind of interesting, you know, based on our collective ideas about the song and, and their song. Seems kind of incongruous. And slightly pretentious that you can create a song like this and say, okay, I've bridged the gap with my cousin who's a, a victim and a survivor of one of the country's greatest tragedies. I'm sorry, I'm trying to be objective, but I'm, I'm a little bothered by the, the, the idea that this was more than just somebody trying to be playful. We're not the only ones, I think, that were a little bit bothered by the song. Uh, MTV removed from the chorus Gun and Bullet when they played it. Hmm. Um, Good. Yeah, no, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm all for that kind of censorship. <laughs> you know, um, here's an interesting story about Stephen King, and Stephen King is clearly... A person who's written some very, very, written about some very violent subjects, um, and you know there was that period of time when he was writing under the pseudonym of Richard Bachman, and the idea was is that he wanted to see if his stories or his books could be as popular under a different name, or if people would buy essentially anything he wrote because it was written under the name of Stephen King. So he wrote this book that was called Rage, and it's about and uh, a boy who takes over one of one of his classrooms in in the high school and it's he becomes fairly sadistic um, throughout the story uh, the way he exposes the weaknesses of some of the kids in the class and then ultimately it turns violent and and he's killed by the police after he's you know killed a couple of the kids in the classroom and um, Stephen King was so horrified by Columbine and so bothered by you know the 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 violence that had led up previous to Columbine, that he literally begged the publishing company to pull it from publication and circulation. And uh, I don't know if that's changed, but as of several years ago, uh, the book company was still refusing to pull it, and he felt like it was really irresponsible, and he felt uh, very bad about uh, the possibility that his work might influence somebody who was uh, disturbed and might uh, view it as um, a glorification of doing something like that as, a, as opposed to, you know, an indictment of, yeah. of those types of actions. And so I, I know that serious artists take this, take this subject very seriously, and it doesn't feel to me like they have. His argument seems to be, or their argument seems to be all too familiar when when uh, artists are attacked for romanticizing drug use, murder, you know, all sorts of whatever it is that that kids shouldn't necessarily be exposed to, they typically respond, "Well, it's this, it's this outrage that I was trying to get to, right? I mean, I was trying <laughs> to evoke or or to encourage this conversation through the song." Um, I, I, I'm not exactly convinced. I'm with you. And I'm feeling very old, by the way, right now. <laughs> I know. We're, here we are arguing for censorship. And yeah. <laughs> when you say we're all feeling old, maybe it's the fact that not, not, not necessarily the age, but all of us having children. Children that have to go to yeah. school and be away 
all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the, Mark Foster did make an interesting comment in, in connection with, you know, after, after MTV censored him, he complained, you know, saying he's, that the song isn't condoning violence. It's, it's uh, trying to make people think about the kids that are marginalized. And he made one other comment that I thought was kind of interesting. He said, you've got reality shows which are all about teenagers getting pregnant, and you've got Jersey Shore where a girl gets punched in the face, and they show the clip over and over and over as a teaser to watch the show. It's like, oh, okay, domestic violence is fine. Uh, like talking about something like family values and teen isolation and bullying is not. So I think he's got a point there that, you know, in a lot of other segments of society, we, we, we allow people to profit from sensationalizing violence. Um, but I think we all agree that the way that he, that he went about it with this song was not necessarily the most effective way to share the message that he wants to get across. It seems a little sneaky. It, all, it seems almost like, here I have this very dark message that, that you wouldn't embrace if, if, I, if I made the music match up with the words, but I'm going to play this great song that you're going to hook into and really enjoy, and then I'm going to get you to listen to this message. Now, I know that's not his intent, but it does feel that way. It feels a little sneaky. I believe him. I take him at his word that that wasn't his intent, but it feels like that to me. It's funny that that uh, and when we watched the video earlier, I didn't realize what the message was purportedly supposed to be. But when you watched, when I was watching the video and seeing this artist who I've never seen before, there was a moment in the video where he had this look in his eyes that reminded me exactly of Eddie Vedder, right? And and it was almost like he was channeling any Eddie Vedder for a second, right? Huh. Kind of that you know that gaze that that Eddie could could get and the the, the parallels between this song apparently what the message is supposed to be and Jeremy to me are, are striking but Jeremy to me is extremely effective in communicating that because he does match the the tenor of the the, the tone of the song with uh, the subject matter yeah yeah i wonder um though if if this song was written with more of a, a Marilyn Manson or a Trent Reznor type of mu uh, music to go along with the lyrics if if it wouldn't just be banned everywhere, you know, because then it might seem that it is, you know, oh, about somebody point. who is, uh, you know, seriously plotting to, to kill someone. But, so, but is there anything in the lyrics, though, that communicates what the message is supposed to be, or is it, or is it really just this kind of... Um, ideation of homicide that he's contrasting with pop music. He's just trying to get into the head, you know, what is this kid thinking? Yeah. Well, you got to give him credit for a good try at trying to do something, you know, important and, and to be helpful. But I, I think it misses the mark. It's just a, it's just a, a very good song <laughs> with some interesting words. Yeah. It, uh, it certainly is uh, great music. Yes. And uh, a great hook. And as a result, it hit the top of many charts. It was at the top of the Billboard Alternative Songs and the Dan Dance Airplay charts. Uh, it also reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100, which was very rare for an alternative song. And it also appeared on the Adult Top 40 and the Mainstream Top 40 charts and received a Grammy Award nomination for Best Pop Duo Group Performance. And it was the most streamed song on the Spotify music service in the United States. 
So, it, I, and I think my theory is that's based on the music because it's such an upbeat tune. There's one other really interesting thing about this song is that it didn't have an official release or a traditional release. Um, the bassist explained, we were a brand new band and that was the only song we had completed. So we put it up on our website to download and from that it had a life of its own. It was tossed around on the internet and people would blog about it and it ended up on Hype Machine, uh, which is a music blog aggregator. And radio just naturally picked it up. First independent radio stations started playing it and then mainstream radio stations started playing it and, and it was just gradually going. So I think it's an interesting story also from the perspective of what has the music industry become. You know, here's an indie rock band who posts a free download on their website. It goes viral. They, mm -hmm. And then they sell millions of copies and, and make an album and, you know, and make a, a career out of it. Well, that was an interesting discussion about an interesting song. For the listeners of Rocktail Hour, uh, again, we want to remind you that audible.com is offering a free audiobook download uh, with a 14-day trial membership to give you a chance to try out their service. Uh, Audible.com offers over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it to your iPod or MP3 player. You can download your free audiobook uh, from the link on our homepage at rocktailhour.com or the affiliates page on the same website. Please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong or if you have an interesting rocktail hour of your own or if you just have a recommendation of a song that you would like to hear. Um, also, please contact us if you want to buy the next round of an upcoming rocktail hour by becoming a sponsor. As always, uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, tell your friends. Go out and like us on Facebook so that you can be updated immediately when we release new podcasts. And we're also on Twitter. You can follow us there. Until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. Rock on.